Go ahead and turn your Bibles to John chapter 10, if you are not still there. Last week, in John chapter 9, we got to see the true story of a man who had been born blind, who was living life as a beggar until he wasn't. Because as it turned out, he was born blind, if you remember, for the glory of God. He was born blind that the works of God might be displayed in him. And those works of God weren't just the works of physical healing, were they? As amazing as that is. If you remember from the story, Jesus worked a miracle in giving this man, this blind man, sight, and then worked another miracle by giving that blind man sight. And in the spiritual eyes of that blind man, Jesus went from a stranger who put spitty mud in his eyes to perhaps a prophet, miracles confirming a message, right? Then to sir, but then ultimately to what? Lord. Lord. But not everybody saw it that way. Uh, While the formerly blind man saw Jesus as Lord and subsequently worshipped him and followed him and sought to obey him, uh, many others, including uh, most vocally the Pharisees, saw Jesus not as Lord but as a blasphemer, meaning he was making himself out to be God, which, of course, he is. So there's that. The blind man saw Spiritually, right? And the Pharisees, with all of their vision, remained in their blindness. As we move into chapter 10 today, we need to be reminded that the Apostle John did not put a gap in the story here. He didn't turn the next page and write, Chapter 10, I am the Good Shepherd, verse 1. Okay, if you listen to the audio Bible, you might hear somebody say that, but that's not what John was writing or thinking as he did this. He just kept right on going. Okay, what the Apostle John wrote was, but now that you say we see, your guilt remains. Truly, truly, I say to you. Right on through. Right on into what we call chapter 10, he went. And now sometimes we hit those chapter breaks in our Bibles and and there is a gap in the narrative. And sometimes there isn't. Sometimes there is no gap. And this is one of those times. Uh, So then, what we have between chapter 9 and the first 21 verses of chapter 10 is an event, the man born blind who now sees, and an explanation of what happened in that event. Okay, my sheep hear my voice, and they follow me. Chapter 9 is the event, and chapter 10 is the explanation of the event to those people who were at the event. That's important for us to know. They needed to know what just happened. Does that make sense? That's what we have here. In John chapter 9, a blind man sees, while the seeing men remain blind. We had seeing and blindness. And the reader is left to consider whether Jesus is a blasphemer or is he God. And then in John 10 through uh, 1 through 21, people hear, not seeing, but they hear the voice of the shepherd. And if they're his, and if he is theirs, they follow him. And if the shepherd is not theirs, and they are not his, they flee. 
So we had seeing and blindness, and now we have hearing and following. And the reader in chapter 10 is left to consider whether Jesus is insane or if he's God. Okay? You either see or you don't, and then you hear, and you either follow or you don't. You flee. And Jesus is either an insane blasphemer or he is God. He is your shepherd or he isn't. So let's, let's just read into this chapter by starting up in chapter 9, verse, starting at verse 39. It says, Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? And Jesus said to them, So Jesus is now talking directly to the Pharisees. That'll be important as we slip into chapter 10. Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold, and the wording in the Greek for this sheepfold would have been uh, the kind that sat in front of a house, like in their courtyard. It would have had stone walls surrounding it, most likely. So he says, truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, as in over the walls, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. Okay, so this isn't rocket science so far, right? We're talking about these sheep and the shepherd and the sheepfold. Why does the shepherd enter through the door? Why? Well, because he has a right to enter through the door, the correct way. That's where he should be. They're his sheep inside that sheepfold. And why does the thief then try to get in some other way? Because they aren't his sheep. They do not belong to him. He has no right to them. And any gatekeeper or a community watchman who's watching over this sheepfold would know not to let him through. To the thief, the gatekeeper would not open. But to the shepherd, verse 3, to him, the gatekeeper opens. And then guess what happens? The sheep hear his voice. That's the shepherd. The sheep hear his voice. And he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them. And the sheep follow him. For they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow. But they'll flee from him. For they do not know the voice of strangers. So, so here's the deal. These sheepfolds often contained more sheep than just one shepherd's. Does that make sense? So this sheepfold here is going to have a conglomeration of sheep in it. And some are going to be this shepherd's, and some are going to be that shepherd's, <clears throat> and some that shepherd's. Okay? All in one pen together, if you will. And that's why there's needed uh, to be a gatekeeper. He needs to know whose sheep are in there, which shepherds have a right to these sheep. The shepherds would bring in their sheep and take them to the large sheepfold, bring them in all together, uh, so there may be multiple shepherd sheep in this fold. The gatekeeper's job was to only allow the rightful owners to go in and get their sheep out to take them out to pasture to eat. And these sheep, 
the sheep in the sheepfold. They learn the voice of their shepherd. They hear his tone, his inflections, the nuances of how he speaks. And they learn to only respond and follow when they hear their shepherd. If they hear someone else, they'll run away. Or at least that's what I've read. (laughs) Or what this passage says, okay? Here's the part where I say I'm only pretending to be an agricultural specialist today. I am not one in real life. Just play one on TV. Um, If you haven't noticed that already, right? So if I say something wrong, if I sound ignorant about farming, it's because I am. Okay? We're going to go with what we know, though, here. You can help me later. But do you see this picture? Do you see this illustration here? The shepherd goes right into the sheepfold because he has a right to. He knows exactly which sheep are his. He knows. He goes into the sheepfold. There's all these different sheep. Many are not his, but he knows which ones are. He individually calls them out by name. And by the way, why did the shepherd get to give the sheep those names? Because they belong to him. And his sheep hear his voice and they know they belong to him. They know they belong to him. And they know that he is their shepherd. And so what do they do? They follow him. And they follow him out of the fold. Out. Notice this is not sheep going in. This is not who all wants to come in. That's not what this is. This is specific sheep leaving behind a larger group of sheep, following their shepherd out from amongst the fold because they heard his voice and they know to follow him. Verse 6. This figure of speech Jesus used with them. And isn't this amazing? But they did not understand what he was saying to them. A figure of speech the shepherd shares, and these people don't understand. Why didn't they understand? And spoiler alert, Jesus is the shepherd in this, in this figure of speech, right? So why didn't they understand? Why didn't they hear his voice and follow him? There's only one possible correct answer to that question. There's only one. They aren't his sheep. But they're Jews. They're Jews, right? But they're not his sheep. Not these ones. Uh, Remember, though, this is exactly what happened in John 9. Look back up in chapter 9, verses 35 through 41. It says, Jesus heard that they had cast him out. And having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? And he answered, And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. And that blind, formerly blind man said, Lord, not sir anymore. This sheep just heard the voice of his shepherd the voice of his shepherd speaking to him individually, calling him out from this sheepfold. Sir doesn't cut it anymore. This is the Lord. This is his Lord. So the formerly blind man says, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. Jesus walked into the sheepfold 
and this poor beggar, blind from birth, what happens? It turns out that man is one of Jesus' sheep. That man is. These Pharisees are not. They did not understand what he was saying to them because he was not their shepherd. They were not his sheep. So, this was the first section of our passage today, verses 1 through 6, this figure of speech. Jesus is gathering his flock from out of the sheepfold. And now in the next verses, verses 7 through 10, the metaphor is going to change a bit, okay? We think about Jesus going into the sheepfold and taking out his sheep. What is that sheepfold, would you think? He, where is he? He is in Israel. Who is he talking to in this passage? The Jews. And there are people from within this sheepfold that is Israel. Some of them are his sheep, and they follow him out of the sheepfold. And some reject and flee because they are not his sheep. He is not their shepherd. In the next verses, verses 7 through 10, the metaphor is changing. Uh, Don't worry, it's not going to be too hard. There are still sheep, still thieves and robbers, still a door or a gate, But Jesus changes places in the word picture, where he is and who he is, to teach us something more about himself. So today we get to learn about Jesus, the shepherd, and Jesus, the door. The door. We're going to learn uh, not just that Jesus is gathering a flock, but in these verses, why. Why is Jesus gathering his flock? We've already seen that he's gathering it, but why? Verse 7. Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. Remember, Christ's sheep don't follow other shepherds. They, they hear a different voice, and eventually they're, they're going to hear the difference, and they stay away. Verse 9, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. And will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. A couple of things from these verses. First, Jesus is the door. There is only one. And Jesus is it. If you remember, how did those thieves and robbers get into the fold? Did they come in the side door? No, they had to climb over the wall, right? They had to go in some other way. And the gatekeeper wouldn't let them come through. They had to climb over the walls. And how many doors, then, are on this sheepfold? Remember, it's one. One. John fourteen six. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Well, that sounds exclusive, you might say. Yes, it is. How narrow-minded. But when something is true, it's good to be narrow-minded. Today is Sunday. It is not any other day. Are you with me? Okay, Another exclusive truth statement. It is good you didn't come for church yesterday. Because yesterday is not Sunday. Yesterday was Saturday. And today is Sunday. Pretty heady, right? Pretty amazing. That's an exclusive truth claim. Your narrow-mindedness in calling Sunday Sunday has served you well today, hasn't it? 
it has served you well. Church, please do not be intimidated by this kind of an argument. Don't be intimidated by it. If people call foul on you because of an exclusive statement, like Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one can come to the Father except through him, if that statement is wrong because it's exclusive, if that's what makes it wrong, that person who's arguing with you just made a claim of exclusivity. They just made an exclusive claim. They've said, if any claim is exclusive, it cannot be true. That is an exclusive claim. Do you you understand that? Do you see that? Exclusivity does not make something false. Guess what makes something false? Being false makes something false. Being false, contrary to reality, is what makes it false. And by the way, and this is where we have to be careful with this, winning that argument, which really is not hard to do as far as logic is concerned, right? But winning that argument with a lost person will not save them. Winning that argument is not successful evangelism. Feeling like you didn't win that argument is not unsuccessful evangelism. Are you following me? Here's why. And the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Do you know what successful evangelism is? Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of Christ. How beautiful are the feet of those who proclaim good news. Successful evangelism is not winning arguments. Successful evangelism is sharing the truth of God's word. Sharing the gospel message of Jesus Christ. And when his sheep hear their shepherd's voice in that message, guess what they will do? Follow him. (laughs) They follow him. And when others who are not of his flock hear it, they flee. They reject it. Think back to when you put your faith in Christ. Think back. Who shared the gospel with you? You might have been in a church service where some human person with a bunch of fault shared the truth of God's word. You might have been shared the gospel with your mom or your dad or a friend or a co-worker or a neighbor. And they were not the most brilliant person on the face of the earth. They probably did not intellectually wrestle you to the ground until you cried uncle and then prayed a prayer. You believed because you are his sheep. And you heard his voice and you followed him. Doesn't that take all the pressure off? Do you have to be a brilliant scientist, creationist scientist to be an effective evangelist? No. You just have to tell the truth. Share the gospel. And God's sheep will hear him and they will follow him. Jesus is the door. There is only one. And Jesus is it. Let's go tell the world. Second, uh, from these verses, why is Jesus gathering his flock? Why is Jesus gathering his flock? Uh, What is true of the sheep who go through that one door, which is him? And verse 9 gives us the answer when it says, If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. Saved from what? 
Well, it says, from being stolen, killed, and destroyed. That's worth being saved from. But then saved to what? And Jesus' answer is to life. To life. To not being killed and destroyed. That is a continuation of life, right? But not just life like that. Not just a longer life or a richer life or a life filled with stuff but an abundant life, eternal life. In Christ, with Christ, feeding on the word of Christ, not just life, but abundant life. Abundant life. All right, so, so far, we know that Jesus is gathering his flock, and we know why he's gathering his flock, that they would be saved and given abundant life. And now, in the final portion of this passage today, we get to see how Jesus is going to accomplish this how the sheep are going to be saved and given abundant life. Verse 11, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. And the Greek here could have been translated, I am the shepherd, the good one. (laughs) I am the shepherd, the good one. And listen to why this statement said that way could make sense. Jeremiah 23, 1 and 2, from the Old Testament prophet Jeremiah says this, Woe to the shepherds, who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. Therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, concerning the shepherds who care for my people, you have scattered my flock and have driven them away, and you have not attended to them. Behold, I will attend to you for your evil deeds, declares the Lord. So woe to those shepherds. Ezekiel 34, verses 2 through 10. Son of man, that's Ezekiel here. He's telling him to write this stuff. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord God, ah, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves. And you understand this is not shepherds of actual sheep, right? This is the leaders of the people of Israel. As shepherds of Israel who have been feeding, you've been feeding yourselves. Should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat You clothe yourselves with the wool. You slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened. The sick you have not healed. The injured you have not bound up. The strayed you have not brought back. The lost you have not sought. And with force and harshness you have ruled them. Why would they act like that? Because they were of no benefit to them. You're being selfish. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd They became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered. They wandered over all the mountains and on every high hill. My sheep were scattered over all the face of the earth with none to search or seek for them. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As I live, declares the Lord God, which is, that's forever. Surely because my sheep have become a prey and my sheep have become food for all the wild beasts, since there was no shepherd and because my shepherds have not searched for my sheep, but the shepherds have fed themselves and have not fed my sheep. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, behold, I am against the shepherds. I will require my sheep at their hand and put a stop to their feeding the sheep. No longer shall the shepherds feed themselves. And then listen to this promise from God. I will rescue my sheep from their mouths, that they may not be food for them. You shepherds failed. 
I am going to save my sheep. God has come himself. Christ in this passage is telling these Pharisees that he has come to rescue his sheep from them. From them. That's what he's saying. He's telling the crowd, which is divided on what to think about him, that his sheep will hear his voice and follow him, and they will not follow the false teaching of these false shepherds. And this warning of false teachers has continued throughout the New Testament. In, in Matthew seven fifteen, Jesus said, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. In Acts 20, 20 29, Paul told the Ephesian elders, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. In 2 Peter 2, verse 1, it says, But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And in the Old Testament book of Zechariah, in chapter 11, even that passage even refers to the Antichrist as a shepherd who does not care for those being destroyed. The false shepherd wants to destroy the sheep, to utilize and manipulate the sheep for their own selfish, greedy, destructive gain. Remember that lust, in a non-sexual term, lust would mean taking from others for what I believe to be my own benefit. But what is it really? To my destruction. Love is giving of myself for the benefit of others. False shepherds don't love their sheep. But Jesus isn't that. He is the shepherd, the good one. Jesus Christ says back in verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Now how? How will Jesus save his flock? The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. That's how. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. Do you remember what David used to convince Saul that he should be allowed to fight Goliath? Remember from that narrative, that story? David looked too young too scrawny, couldn't hold up all the armor, right? To fight this giant beast of a man. But then David said to Saul, your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it from his mouth. And if he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Who wants to sign up for that job, right? But what's the point? Hired hands don't fight against these kinds of animals. These kinds of dangers. A false shepherd, once his sheep don't look lucrative to him anymore, don't look beneficial to him anymore, he's going to start exiting stage right. Might be a process, but he'll be out of there. He'll be out. Okay, hired hands don't fight these kind of animals. Why would they risk their lives for sheep that don't even belong to them anyways? But a good shepherd who knows and loves his own sheep will seek to protect them. Thieves come in to steal and kill and destroy for their own benefit. Hired hands take off as soon as things look like they're not going to benefit them any longer. 
When things get hard or bad, they exit. Christ came to save his sheep and that his sheep would have life and have it abundantly. And he didn't run. He laid down his life for the sheep. Verse 14. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, I lay down my life for the sheep. And this knowing, all the knowing going on in this in these verses is being used in a similar way to the loving relationship between a husband and wife. And of course, it's not referring to any physical intimacy given the context, but instead the loving, personal knowledge, that relationship they have together. Ephesians 5.25, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Verse 16, I have other sheep. This is an amazing truth. Time to celebrate, church. I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. Remember what that first sheepfold was that Jesus went into and called his sheep? It was Israel. Guess what? There's another sheepfold that Jesus is going to go into, and he's going to call his sheep and they're going to hear his voice, and they're going to follow him. Guess who was from that sheepfold? Yeah, unless you're Jewish here today, and if you are, glad to have you here, right? Because there's now one flock and one shepherd. If you're here today and you are a Gentile by birth, you're his sheep. If he has called you, you've heard his voice, you've put your faith and trust in Christ Jesus. Jesus has just promised to these people that there would be sheep like us showing up on the scene. Praise God. Praise God. Christ is the good shepherd. He calls from within that sheepfold his his own sheep. We hear his voice. We follow him. Okay, this is the nations. The nations. Ephesians 2, 11 through 19. Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made us both, Jew, Gentile, one, and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. By abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both, Jew and Gentile, to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near, Jew and Gentile. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Thank you, Jesus. Revelation 7, 9 and 10, After this I looked, behold the great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Verse 17, For this reason, for this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. 
take it up again. This is the resurrection. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down. I have authority to take it up again. This charge, this command I've received from my Father. Two things in these verses. Jesus, number one, Jesus gave up his life willingly. Willingly. It was an act of obedience. It was an act of love. He was not killed against his will. And Jesus has and had the authority as God the Son to rise from the dead. No one but God himself can do that. No one can. Jesus is making another statement here, isn't he? I'm giving my life for my sheep and I'm going to be rising from the dead. I'm going to rise from the dead. Number two, please see in these verses the correlation between love and obedience. Jesus received this charge or this command from the Father. God gave the charge. Jesus willingly complied. Why? Because of love. Look back up to verses 14 and 15. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. What did Jesus say to his disciples in John 14? If you love me, you will keep my commandments. So if I'm Christ's sheep, then I know him. He knows me, and I know him. That loving relationship. To know him is to love him, and to love him is to obey him. To obey him. In the second half of John 10, we're going to hear Jesus say, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. They follow me. So you ask, do I love God? Do you love God? Oh, I love God. Are you following him? Are you seeking to obey his commands? We might hear a command and go... Oh, that would be really nerve-wracking to follow that. I don't know if I can do that. Do you love God? Because to love him is to obey. That's a test, isn't it, for us? To love God is to obey. Verse 19. There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. These words meaning, I'm laying down my life for my sheep and I'll take them up again. Those words that he has the authority to do so. Verse 20, many of them said, and remember, his sheep hear his voice and they follow him. Many of them said, he has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, this is just like all these other narratives in John, isn't it? These people thought this way, these people thought that way. Others said, these are not the words of, a, of one who's oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of a blind? Again, tying this back to the story of John 9. Can a demon open the eyes of a blind? The answer is no. Some of these sheep just said, this man is demon-possessed and is sane. Why listen to him? And they asked that question rhetorically. What they were saying was, don't listen to him. And then others said, these words don't sound like something we would be running away from. We shouldn't be running away from this. These are not the words of a demon-possessed man. Demons can't even do what Jesus did to that blind man. And the implied next step, in contrast to why listen to him, these sheep said, 
That sounds like my shepherd. I'm going to follow him. We should listen to him. But, but what is the answer to the unbeliever's question? Why listen to him? What is the answer to that question? Because if you're his, you will hear his voice. You will hear the truth and you will know him and you will follow him. Why listen to him? Because he's your shepherd. That's why. Because he's your shepherd. So we see in this passage today, in this figure of speech, that Jesus is gathering a flock from every tribe, every tongue, every nation on the earth. Why is Jesus gathering a flock? That they may have life and have it abundantly. And how, how is he gathering this flock? By laying down his life for them. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, this is where we get away from the illustration, okay? Jesus Christ, the Son of God, lived a perfect, sinless life. He is truly righteous and deserves nothing of death or judgment. And yet, in his great love for us, while we were sinners, and how many generations before we were ever born, this happened. Before any of that, while we were sinners, Christ died in our place. He laid down his life for his sheep in our place. On the cross, Christ took the punishment that we deserve. The wrath of God that we deserve was poured out on him in full. There's no wrath left for us to face. We forget that so often. There is no wrath left. If I walk out of here in sin today, there might be some consequences to my sin on this earth, and rightly so, but there will be no wrath from God left to face because Christ took it all on the cross. The only spotless lamb, the only one suitable for sacrifice, died in the place of all the spotted, speckled, crippled, unfit lambs. That's all of us. And through his death, all of our spots and speckles and ailments and crippled features were removed or made right. Those white robes of righteousness we read about in Revelation, you didn't get that at the store. And you didn't earn it by your living. Christ gave it to you by his righteousness. We were made right with God through Christ, and so there is now no more need of sacrifice. And, and, he rose from the dead. I'm going to read to you Romans 8, 28 through 39, and we'll be done. But listen closely, don't quit on me. Romans 8, 28 through 39. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Those whom he predestined, he called. What's happened to the sheep? Those whom he called, he justified. Those whom he justified, he also glorified. Not just life. Life abundantly. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? No false shepherd can take this away from you. He did not, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for all of us. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? 
Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, for your sake, and here comes some sheep again, for your sake we're being killed all the day long, we are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Are there still thieves crawling over those walls? Yeah. Are we going to have all of that abundance in this world, in this life right now? There's still going to be crud going on around us, isn't there? Some of our own doing. But you're his. Is any of that going to separate you? No. Verse 37, all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. You're more than a conqueror. You're not a conqueror. You're more than a conqueror, whatever that means, right? For I'm sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us, will be able to separate you, sheep, from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's pray together. Father, it is hard for us to imagine the love with which you have loved us. We certainly have not experienced this in our own heart towards others, nor from others towards us. But we thank you. And God, may we, um, as your sheep, those here who have put their faith and trust in Christ, who have heard his voice and heard their shepherd and followed him, may we remember to call you Lord and to bow in worship and to follow you. God, may we grow in our righteousness and our obedience to you to know that love is obedience to you. You are our shepherd. You are our Lord and our God. God, may we grow. May we throw our fears and cautions about tribulations and distresses and persecutions and famine, nakedness, danger, sword, and all of those things. May we throw those away knowing that you have already given Christ, that he has already laid down his life for us, that we have already been given and promised an abundant life, an eternal life. And may we exercise the love that we have been given and serve you with our whole heart, soul, mind, and strength. And God, I pray for anyone here today, Lord, who has not yet put their faith and trust in you. Lord, I pray that you would call them by name, that their ears would hear their shepherd's voice, that they would repent of their sin, and call you Lord, that they would be saved today. God, may you be glorified in these ways. And may we, as we think about these things, know that these things were done, that the works of God might be displayed. And I pray this in Christ's name. Amen.